The Storycast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/stories. Over 180,000 titles to choose from, all on your mobile device. So support the show and enrich your mind at audibletrial.com/stories. Before Ajax scoured your scummy porcelain, he was a Greek warrior who fought with omnipotent power in the Trojan War. Or take the Amazon warrior, once a fierce yet divine race of marauding female mercenaries. Now it's a website that sells you watch batteries and dryer sheets at the tap of your smartphone. Formerly known as the penultimate Roman god of war, now Mars oozes nougaty goodness in your mouth. Olympus, the long, exalted, mountainous home of the Greek gods, now snaps photos on your trip to the beach. The Greek goddess of victory now dons your feet as you swoosh along your snazzy new Nikes. The father of Zeus, the king to drive all other gods, was none other than Saturn. And finally, Pandora, the first woman of Greek mythology, whose box would unleash all evils upon the world and all that she would retain would be hope, now graces your ears with online music and your wrists and necks with things shiny. Gods of the past have ascended into the annals of literature and ideas and statues and into the marketing and brands of your everyday life. Gods are everywhere, phony or otherwise. And as for the real gods? Well, there have been an estimated 63,000 religious groups throughout human history who have served many more thousands of gods, unless you count Hinduism too, who alone claims 333 million gods out there. But if you're a universalist, bound to personal creation, there are 7.506 billion of us gods running rampant across the globe and many more born each second of each day. And if you're an atheist, there are none, of course. But isn't it all a matter of perception anyway? And if you're an absolutist, you believe in your one true God, a certain flavor of the most popular 12 or so worshipped on the planet today. Whatever you believe, the sheer vastness of those worshipped throughout time and space should at least be humbling despite your convictions. The very concept of God is in and of itself complex and defining of our very existence. But what defines God? The idea of God is macro, a bearded supreme being orchestrating from the clouds. But God is also micro in your mind and heart, especially if you believe that you are one, then at least to you, you are. Whatever your belief and whatever the reality there are gods in everyday life all around us. This time on the StoryCast, gods among us. Chapter 1. Ain't nothing like the real thing. Is there a god? If so, what or who is god to you? An omnipotent marionette? A spiritual aura? a global consciousness embedded in the natural world? Can God become man? Or perhaps more importantly, can man become God? What would it take to become God? Now, if you believe in one true God, that idea in itself is pure heresy. But for some human beings, what happens in the mind is in fact reality, if not one's own personal reality. And if there really is a God, and that God visited earth in some shape or form, how would you know? How could you differentiate an imposter from the real thing? 
History is full of frauds presenting themselves as God. Self-deification refers to the Greek idea of apotheosis, or to deify oneself. It means you've identified yourself as God, so therefore, you are to be exalted. Chances are, if you believe in one true God, you'll disagree with all of the following stories except for one. And a bunch of people out there then also disagree with you, so keep that in mind. Because someone's got to have it right, one way or another. Dating all the way back to 3050 BC and for the millennia to follow, Egyptian pharaohs, the kings of Egypt, were each considered a god by their cultures. Their lives, death, and burials were so grand that we still see their monuments today, reaching to the heavens. Throughout the ancient Japanese empire and up until the mid-1900s, the emperors of Japan were revered as divine descendants of the goddess Amaterasu. Each Chinese emperor was worshipped as the Son of Heaven through 1911. And the Roman Caesars, the Dalai Lamas, the Incan emperors, and on and on and on. Gautama Buddha founded an awakening of virtuous enlightenment, still embraced today, more than 2,500 years later. Throughout the ages, countless spiritual savants and kings declared themselves as gods and demigods. Men such as Mesopotamia's Naram Sin, Greco-Persian rulers Epiphanes and Theos, and even Alexander the Great. But none literally defines time, as in B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini, or Latin, in the year of our Lord. No self-proclaimed God took the cake more than Jesus Christ, who purported to be the Son of God, born as man, gaining disciples, crucified, and risen again. And from him, the holy scriptures, the holy wars, and the holy mess that warring religions have come to today. But then there are so many more in AD or CE, whichever you prefer. In the first century alone, with Simon Magnus, who appeared to the Jews as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Valeta, the Germanic prophetess, deified as a goddess by tribes up and down the Rhine. And then the other big one, Muhammad, God's holy messenger from Mecca, sent to confirm monotheistic teaching from which Islam would be born the act of submitting to the will of God above all other gods. And then through the 16th century and into the modern era, the Azerbaijani Ismail, Russian Filopovich and Selevanov, and then Hong Shikwan, who claimed deity through lineage as the brother of Jesus and went off to conquer China, and Dios Buhawi, the Philippine shaman who led a religious revolution in 1887, and countless so-called gods across the globe into the 1900s, Dutchmen and Hindu gurus and communists alike. And then the rise of the cult in the 1960s and 70s, when Indiana native Jim Jones and his People's Temple brought the ill-fated Kool-Aid to Jonestown, Guyana, and David Koresh, the self-identified son of God, who led the Branch Davidians to a fiery grave in 1993 Waco, and another son of God, Marshall Applewhite and his Heaven's Gate, who sent off to rendezvous with the Hale-Bob Comet, and Joseph Coney, also the Messiah, an at-large guerrilla theocrat and spiritual medium who abducted children in Uganda into the 21st century, and Maurice Clemens, the mentally deranged man and self-proclaimed Jesus, who in 2009 killed four police officers in Washington State at a coffee shop 
just a few miles away from me right now. So what does this all tell us? So many claims, so many gods, so many liars and thieves and murderers, and worse. What does it say about us as human beings when so many, too many of us try to become God, to become superhuman in order to rise above human limitations, limits of power, dignity, pleasure, and mental capacity? Are any of these really gods among us or men and women embracing the worst of humanity? So can you become a god? Or if you really are God, could you convince enough people that you're not crazy? And in the end, would it really even matter? Well, the only person who can really answer that would be God. So God, if you're listening right now, feel free to let us all know. Chapter 2. Can I Get a Witness? Most good stories have a clear main character, and our hero here is Chang Xianyi, a military colonel turned scientist, a god to some and traitor to others. But isn't that how the idea of God works after all, as a matter of perspective? Most good stories also have a secret. A twist, something that once you find out what's really going on, well, the game changes and nothing's as it seems. Most good stories also have a clear beginning, and this tale starts in 1949 when the island nation of Taiwan finally separated from the communist government of China after the Chinese Civil War, a hostile two-decade-long complex ideological standoff between warring factions of the Chinese government. When the amorphic dust settled, Taiwan stood as independent, while China, to this day, mind you, still claims ownership of the island nation and threatens to re-annex it by any means necessary. So as the proverbial pistol sounded to commence the global nuclear arms sprint of the 1960s, China, too, began to amass their arsenal of nukes, which made Taiwan very uncomfortable, to say the least. And as Chinese pressure to reclaim Taiwan intensified amidst this armament, Taiwan formulated a plan and responded, in secret of course. A secret of which proportions our protagonist, Cheng Xianyi, would be the standard bearer. His actions would offer for some salvation, for others certain damnation. Choosing a certain fate, Cheng became a god among men, a man who held a secret so great that nations around the world would crave its knowledge. Cheng's knowledge and where there are nukes and secrets and arms races, well, the CIA must be involved, right? So as bell-bottoms welcomed in corduroys, the U.S. welcomed in the 1980s, the Cold War was still in effect, and the U.S. intelligence community continued to become fearful of the nuclearization of the Taiwan Strait. Mr. Chang Xianyi, now in his early 40s, was a husband and a father, and one of his country's key nuclear scientists, deputy director at Taiwan's Institute of Nuclear Energy Research. He was paid handsomely, well-off, happy, and comfortable. Well, 
at least until the USSR's catastrophic Chernobyl disaster in 1986, the single worst nuclear catastrophe the world has ever seen that left an entire town fatally contaminated with nuclear radiation. That moment changed Chang forever. It caused him to reconsider his career and thus put the secret at stake. And for that secret, if you haven't guessed already, for nearly two decades in Chang's entire career, Taiwan had been secretly developing nuclear technology to combat mainland China's strong army. And as an added twist, Chang had been recruited by the CIA eight years prior as the US aimed to keep tabs on Taiwan's progress. As Chernobyl caused Chang to second-guess the very nuclear program he piloted, he reached out to the CIA, agreeing to assist in halting Taiwanese nuclear armament in exchange for his family's safe and surreptitious relocation to the U.S., the U.S. government had already procured everything that they needed to pressure Taiwan into stopping the program. They just needed a high-ranking source to corroborate the information. Chang and his family's defection would be complicated. Chang was a military official who couldn't even leave the country without permission. Even his wife and three young children had to be misled in order to escape. Chang had previously discussed the prospect of a U.S. job with his wife, but that's about all she knew. So in early January 1988, he sent her and the three small kids to Tokyo Disneyland. Then, right out of a Hollywood blockbuster, he left home with only a little cash, a few personal possessions, and a fake passport from the CIA. He didn't even bring a single document from the office. He didn't throw a single switch. All the U.S. needed was Chang's testimony to turn the heat up and stop Taiwan's nuclear program, which was in clear violation of global nuclear initiatives. All good stories need a climax. And in this one, Chang, with his fake passport, made it across the Pacific and through to Seattle and into protective custody. Mrs. Chang and the little ones would be dropped a note in Tokyo explaining the situation. And the family tearfully loaded onto a secret plane to their shocking new homeland to meet Mr. Chang stateside, where the Chang family would live in hiding in Virginia for fear that Taiwanese agents were out to assassinate Chang because within a month, the U.S. would succeed in halting Taiwan's nuclear program and the Changs would start a new life, a happy life even to this day where the happy couple permanently resides in Idaho State, where Mr. Chang finally hung up his clipboard after working as an analyst and engineer for the government. Where there are stories of gods, there must be tales of salvation and sacrifice, blasphemy and betrayal, deliverance and damnation. One man's god is another man's enemy. One woman's martyr is another's militant. One's defector is another's deliverer. And so it goes with Chang. Many in Taiwan praise him for preventing nuclear war. Others see him as a traitor who defied Taiwan's very right of survival. Taiwan's military even officially listed Chang as a fugitive until the year 2000 when his arrest warrant expired. But he'll never return to Taiwan, Chang says. And he'd do it all the same again. His simple belief of peace and inclusion remains the same today. Chang says, I am Taiwanese, I am Chinese, 
I don't want to see Chinese people on both sides of the Taiwan Strait killing each other. All good stories have a great ending. Chang's story has no ending, but his choices live on as being instrumental in playing God in the nuclear theater of his homeland. And to this day, there's still real debate in Taiwan over if he truly did the right thing. But Chang's only regret? Since that day that he left his homeland, he never again saw his parents before they passed away. And considering the stakes, maybe that's okay. But then again, maybe it's not. Maybe none of this is. It really is a matter of perspective after all. It really depends on what you believe. And so it goes with God. Chapter 3. It Takes Two We can all become gods of our own fate. Every second of every day, we all choose our own paths through both action and inaction. The choices we make can either be a cancer or a step in the right direction. We are all-powerful. We are omnipotent. This song, Benign, is our next track in our Season 2 album, and it's about just that. And remember, if you want the whole album when it releases this June, just head over to support.storycastpodcast.com. Before we kill the conversation 
find the motivation to waste some money and hours alone. And don't leave me out of what you're sighing for. And throw your things back on the floor. It seems so funny when we're not at home. The Storycast was written and produced by myself. I tweet at Russell Silva. This week you heard music from Farabor's Lacini, Richard Anthony J., Emily Pandolfi, Ludovico Ionati, and myself. The Storycast continues at the end of June with the final episode of Season 2 and another chapter of life that tells the story of us through a common thread. So until next time, think, feel, and wonder a little bit more. The StoryCast is supported by you every time you click on our Amazon banner and shop. So head over to StoryCastPodcast.com and click or bookmark our Amazon ad. And we get a kickback on every order you make every time. Simple as that. Thanks.